Good, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. You can say good morning, too. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thanks for being here for our grand opening. Um, I have told this story of grace, just like a three-minute version of it, so many times. We thought that what we do for our grand opening is for the next few weeks, we'd kind of tell the story of grace just to give you an idea. And I've told it so many times, but we're going to get the best version now. We're going to get the true version. This is uh, my wonderful <laughs> wife, Krista, and uh, probably... More than anybody else uh, in Grace or in my life, Krista is responsible for where we are after 22 years, uh, probably far more than me, uh, because of all that she has done. She's just been the solid rock. Uh, So anyway, just want to thank her. Okay, (laughs) let's get this started. So I want to share a little bit about how Grace began. If you're thinking that we began with a lot of hoopla, bells and whistles, think again. And if you're thinking with great joy and enthusiasm, it was quite the opposite. And if you think we had throngs of people like a big crowd like we had today, think again. Actually, it was quite the opposite in every way. But Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. So here's a little backstory. John and I are both Arlingtonians, and we love Arlington through and through. In fact, we both grew up just a couple miles from here. After college, uh, John was on staff at a couple different churches, and he found himself you know, just repeatedly hurt. But the last church that he was on staff with He said, God, that's it. I am done with ministry. I'll do anything else that you want, but not ministry. So he took a few few weeks just to pray and ask God for that anything else. And after a few weeks, he felt God speak one time and say, try it again. So on Christmas Eve 2000, Grace began with a handful of friends and family. Some are here today, and they had been too hurt and burned by church just like us, but they had enough faith to try it again. So we met in this old building, um, which is now a thriving restaurant called Liberty Tavern just down the street. Now this free old lodge was dusty, rusty, and in need of some great renovations. Um, Some of you have heard this story about my decorating expertise. Um, So the display was in the first entrance of this meeting place where old toilets lined the hallways as you entered. And they greeted folks as if to say, welcome, please join us inside for a very miserable experience. God bless you. So Little did we know how symbolic that renovation, that old building was to our own lives because God needed to renovate us. God stripped out the old toilets of our lives, like the old way of thinking that we had to clean up our acts to come to Jesus to begin that relationship, or the old toilet thinking that said that we had to dress a certain way, look a certain way, vote a certain way, in order to be a part of the kingdom of God. Well, God wanted us to unlearn some of those old toilet ways that didn't work so that he could teach us 
the new ways that do. So several months after some restoration began in our own lives, uh, one day John was on his way back from a minister's conference, and he asked God, hey, what is it that you want Grace Community Church to be? What is our purpose? And just like that, he felt God share with him, John, you are to be a church for people who don't go to church. And that's where our mission began. So now maybe it was because John was flying 40,000 feet closer to heaven and he heard from God to get this wonderful direction. I don't know. But this phrase was one that God has used to bring numerous people to church and to begin a relationship with Christ. To God be the glory. And today I'm going to read our passage from chapter 4 of Luke that says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written that man shall not live on bread alone. Thank you, Krista, very much. We're giving the true rendition of that story. That's great. And um, I, I know I said it just a moment ago, but Krista has sacrificed so much, you know, uh, over the years, over the past couple of decades. Uh, one of the things being she sacrificed her whole career uh, so that we could do this together. And, um, and that's really huge. Um, if you were here right as we started the beginning, Pastor Derek, who was on stage and gave the welcome, if anybody is responsible for the many millions of things that go on with project management to get into this space, and there are a lot, he's the guy. Say thank you to him for this space because he's, uh, he's done awesome. Well, what we're going to do for the next few weeks, and this is going to kind of culminate on Easter, as it should, uh, we're going to talk about what is this thing, this church for people who don't go to church. Maybe some of you caught the Arlington Now article. Did anybody see the article in Arlington Now? Yeah, I read quickly the comments. I mean, the the thing, I, I didn't read the comments in Mary Owen wherever Mary is here, was telling me about some of the comments this morning. I thought that was great. I didn't realize those good comments were there. A church where people don't go to church in a mall where people don't shop, right? I thought it was... And then then, uh, one person wrote, so a church people don't go to church, does that mean once you go, you can't go back because now you've been to church? And I just, you know, that's good. So we did talk a little bit about... Uh, this we have been grinding to a halt. We have just been trying to dig down into this text of Luke chapter four. Um, we have been on it for a few weeks now, and um, here we are. We're going to really just dive down into this one phrase that Jesus said, and in a lot of ways, really just one word, bread. And we want to talk about trauma this morning. We want to talk about hurt and pain and what in the world. Does bread have to do with that? These are the first words that Luke has Jesus speaking. Now, he says something when he's like 12 years old, but as he begins the ministry, this is it. This is the first time he speaks, and he speaks about bread, and why is that, and what all that have to do with trauma? Now, 
Krista just explained, we experienced some serious church PTSD. That's why I did not um, want to be in the ministry uh, ever, ever again. I was just, whew, we're, we're done. Um, so I, I think as I've, as I've talked to a lot of people over the years, I think a lot of people experience church PTSD like me. Anybody experience anything like that? Yeah, so God trauma, church PTSD, Bible trauma, on and on it goes, you know, but trauma comes, it's all around us. It comes in many ways. A lot of times from authority figures, so it could be at work, it could be a boss, it could be anybody who's an authority figure, like a parent, or on and on it goes. But there's a lot of trauma in this world. How do we heal from that? And what does that have to do with bread? Or more specifically today, what does it have to do with Ted Tarts? Okay. <laughs> God is using bread to heal. He's using bread to heal. How? What Jesus does, and we said this a few weeks ago, is that the Bible was filled with what we would call today hyperlinks. It's like on your computer, links here and links here. So Jesus is quoting something that happened earlier in the Bible in the book of Deuteronomy. So let's just go back there real quick and let's read it because it's a sermon by Moses. It's a, it's a big sermon that starts the book of Deuteronomy and, and here's what he has to say. In verse number three, which you'll recognize it because this is what Jesus quotes, but let me give you a couple words before and after. The first thing it says, he humbled you. Speaking of God, God humbled you. And let me just stop right there real quick. I just want you to think about it because initially we think, what, he humbled me? I don't know if I like that. Um, In order to genuinely learn something, you have to be genuinely humble. I mean, you've said it before, like that person's not listening or whatever, right? Because they, you know, whatever the reason is, but it's usually because there is some real pride there that I'm not interested in learning. So this is what it's saying. God is getting ready to teach them or more specifically help them to unlearn something, as Krista said, so that we can relearn something. So he humbled you, causing you to hunger. So God uses hunger and then feeding you with manna, which is bread, Okay which neither you nor your ancestors had known. If Why? Why, God? To teach you. So God wants to teach us something. There's something here to be learned. That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What God is interested here is healing our hurts, treating our trauma, putting us on a better path that leads towards healing. So Jesus is speaking in Luke, and he's speaking to a group of people who are filled with trauma. I mean, they have all kinds of pain. They have major pain in their life. That's what he's speaking. Like his next words after this in Luke is he says, I'm here to heal the brokenhearted. So let's just put everything in context. That's what this all is about. And when Jesus hyperlinks back to Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to a group of people who have experienced massive trauma. They're the ones that left Egypt in the Exodus. Now it's 40 years later, but the trauma is intense. And he links back to the beginning when they left Egypt. So here's the thing, the, the, the shadow that's cast across this whole thing to put it in perspective so I can understand what's going on here is it's all about hurt, pain, and trauma. And now God wants to teach us something, obviously to heal us. Okay. Let's continue. He says, so observe my commands. Now that probably is not the first thing you're thinking about when you're thinking about, I'm going to heal you. All right. Me neither. Observe the commands of the Lord, your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him for the Lord, your God is bringing into a good land. A land where bread will not be scarce. And you're going to lack nothing. This is very important. When you have eaten and you're satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day. So 
there's not a lack. Uh, there's this abundant land and God is using laws and decrees and commands to do it. It's very interesting. Why is Moses saying this? Okay, uh, verse 16. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that, why? In the end, it might go well with you. So how in the world do commands and decrees and law, how does that heal my trauma? What in the world is that? That's not the first thing that I would think of. And I'm guessing you probably wouldn't think of that either. So God is going to heal us through bread by commands, laws, and decrees. Is anybody else confused? Because, you know, as I read this, I'm like, I'm seriously confused. How is, how is all that going to work? Like, here's a Ted Tart. May you be healed. All right. Uh, so I want to put something up. Uh, there are brick laws and there are bread laws. And, and we're just going to put something up here for you because uh, this is going to really help, help us. Okay. So there's brick laws and bread laws. In Exodus chapter 5, the first time the people of Israel had ever experienced commands and laws and decrees was the brick laws given by Pharaoh. First time ever. The second time the people had ever, ever experienced commands and laws and decrees was in Exodus chapter 16, and it was the bread laws. And we are juxtaposing the brick laws and the bread laws. This is what the Bible is trying to show us. And that's why it's going through all of these Little details about commands and laws and manna and healing and all, all of this stuff. So let's just say a couple things, just big, big, big picture, okay, about all of this. How do you make bricks and how do you make bread? Well, in the ancient world, you would make bricks because you would take a stalk of wheat and you would not take the wheat, you take the other end of it, which is called the chaff. And you would mix it with some water, put some other things into it. But this is the basic ingredients, the chaff, and you would bake it. Now, how do you make bread? You take the opposite end of the chaff. You take the wheat. You take the wheat kernels, right? You grind it. You process it. You mix it with water and you bake it. So there's a tremendous similarity between the two, except for this one. Human beings can't eat chaff. Animals can, but humans can't, right? But humans can eat bread. Now, who makes bread? Who does make bread? I love bread. I talked about that uh, recently, didn't I? Yeah, I did in my announcement last week. Yeah, I love bread. I can make a meal off of bread. But who makes bread? God doesn't make bread. God makes fruits, vegetables, and grains, right? Human beings come along and they process those grains and then we make bread. Somebody told me processed food isn't good for you. I'm not sure about that, but you can uh, think about that yourself. But you very first see bread in the Bible. I think it's in Genesis chapter three after Adam and Eve made a wrong choice. And then it says by bread. So there's this thing going on here. It's really, really clear. So, so there's a, there's a similarity between the two. Now, when they go to leave Egypt, when the slaves are set free on this glorious day, God says, this is the first month of the first year of your life. And he calls them basically, very clearly, newborn children. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment, everybody. How do newborn children, maybe we've got some young parents here with like a six-month-old or seven-month-old, what's the primary way that a newborn child learns? Mouthing. It's called mouthing. It's the primary way that a child learns. You learn something by eating. You learn something by mouthing. 
And the first two things that you see that the Israelites experience as they leave slavery is God gives them water to drink and bread to eat. So God is clearly trying to teach them something new. What is it that God is trying to teach them? So let's, let's just review for a second. In Exodus chapter five, you have Pharaoh giving the brick laws. First time they ever experienced commands and decrees and they got serious PTSD from it, okay? And then you have the bread laws over here. The second time that they have experienced commands and decrees. Now let's dig down into it just a little bit. What are the brick laws? Exodus chapter five, it's the slavery law. Pharaoh says, Pharaoh, the power, right? He was viewed as God, says there'll be no rest. You're not human beings. You don't get to rest. Matter of fact, you know what's really interesting? The first time in all the Bible, there's a word in the Bible called Sabbath. It's a really important word. Who's the first human being who ever spoke the word Sabbath? That would be Pharaoh. And he said, there'll be no Sabbath. There'll be no rest. You're not human beings. You're slaves. I'm going to work you till you die because I don't care. Okay, it's dehumanization. And that is what we see brick law number one. And they had to go out and notice this. They had to gather their own straw. They had to go out and gather their own straw. That is brick law number one. Here is brick law number two. You had to go out and get your own straw. And it was every person, every family, every man for himself. So because of that, hoarding was encouraged. Now, what would happen in a society that if you don't produce, because what Pharaoh says is, I want my bricks. Over, You read Exodus 5, over and over, I want my bricks, I want my bricks. All I care about is production, because that's the only thing power cares about, right? I want production out of you. Some of us have that viewpoint of God. Some of us have that viewpoint of the Bible. Some of us have that viewpoint about church or pastors or leaders. Just produce, 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 do, 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 do. This is what Pharaoh said, do, do, do. So what would happen to a society where you tell everybody, hey, I'm gonna beat the daylights out of you. I'm gonna beat the daylights out of your family, out of your kids, unless you produce enough bricks. It would tear society apart, wouldn't it? Because it'd be, it, the society is every person is for themselves. I, I'm, I've got mine, I'm hoarding mine. I'm sorry about you, but I can't have my family beat. So what Pharaoh is doing is destroying, he's killing the society. He's killing any cohesion with inside of the society. And his bottom line, again, is I want my bricks. Now let's look at bread laws. Here God comes along. Now what do you think they felt when they were introduced to laws again? You think they had some major PTSD from that? You think they were like, oh, good, we've got laws. I remember the first time we were given a law, it was really terrible. It traumatized us. It tore us apart. I hate laws. And that's what a lot of us think about God and the Bible. We think it's just laws, it's just rules, it's just laws, it's just rules, it's rules, it rules, it rules. And we'll read this and we'll totally misunderstand it. You have to understand the juxtaposition that the Bible is giving us on these two things, the difference between brick laws and bread laws. And so God comes along and says, you know what? You must rest. It's the anti-slavery law. Matter of fact, God says, look, I'm going to give you bread to eat. We call it manna. I'm going to give you bread to eat. And you go outside the camp because you're hungry and you go to gather just like you were gathering straw. But this time, instead of there not being enough, instead of there being scarcity, there's going to be plenty. There's going to be plenty for you. But here's the thing. You can't go out on the Sabbath. You have to rest. You have to rest. And if you go out on the Sabbath to collect, there's not going to be any anyway. I'm, I'm actually going to make sure that you are dignified, that the image of God is in you. You're not an animal. You're not a slave. You must rest. You're a person. 
Very, very different. God is saying, I love you. This guy over here is saying, I just want something out of you. That's it. God is saying, I love you. You must rest. What's the second thing? Hoarding it actually is discouraged. So God says, if you go out and you try to hoard a bunch more than you can even eat in a day because you know you've been so, got so much PTSD from back here for hoarding, the next day when you wake up because you had too much, it's going to be, it's going to be filled with maggots. It's going to be filled with maggots. Now, I, um, I don't want anybody to throw up. Because you probably just had some Ted Tarts, but I just gonna show you this picture quickly and we're gonna take it down. All right? So here's what ah, okay, you can take it down, all right? So that was to let them know, to encourage them, don't you, there's no reason to do this. There is absolutely no reason to hoard. So God is helping us. Now, everybody, I want you to think about this for a second. The very first two laws, this is so different than what many of us particularly me, okay? Maybe you're like me, grew up with like a Bible, you better obey, you better do this. And I always read it, yeah, man, if I collect too much, maggots. Oh man, God's just like throwing in my, throwing a bunch of maggots in my face because it's just so nasty. Oh God, God I better obey God. Or but that's not what's going on here. God is dignifying them. Now, I want you to think about this. So God says, don't go out and collect on the Sabbath because there won't be any. And don't hoard too much because the, all the bread's going to go bad anyway. These are the first two laws. You know what they are? Let's look at the next slide. These laws are what we call training wheel laws. You can't fail. There's no way to disobey the command. There's no way to collect on the Sabbath because there's no bread. There's no way to eat hoarded bread because you'd never eat it. They're training wheel laws. Why? Because they're given from a God who loves you so much and know that you have experienced trauma. God knows that hoarding and looking in what the New Testament calls sarks, the apostle Paul talks about it being curved in on yourself, is a way that leads to death. Pharaoh knows that he doesn't care about them and he's just going to drive them and drive them and drive them. Now, here's the sad thing. For many of us, people who either, like me, pastors, or represent the Bible, represent the church, sound a lot more like Pharaoh's brick laws than we do God's bread laws. And there's the big mistake. There's the big mistake. So I got a comment yesterday on Facebook because we put it up that, you know, here we are, church people going to church, grand opening. And somebody commented and said, as long as you preach the true gospel and don't preach some kind of gospel telling people how they can feel good and make sure that they know that they're going to go to hell. Is that brick or bread? I mean, gospel, no, it means good news, right? It means good news. So make sure you tell them how bad it is because everybody's going to go to hell. Is that brick or bread? Okay, so we very easily slip in because it's human nature into Pharaoh instead of reflecting the very image of God, very image of God. So how do you view God? Do you view God like God is just waiting for you to fail? Or do you view, view God as a loving parent who understands your trauma and understands your pain? who understands the compassionate God of bread laws, who is there saying, as you're riding the bike, I'm just, I'm just gonna make sure you can't fail. Because that's what the bread laws are. The bread laws are training wheel laws. Which God are you seeing? Which God are you reflecting? 
And this is how God actually heals us. Now, remember what I said about the bottom line with Pharaoh? I want my bricks, I want my bricks, I want my bricks. I mean, over and over, next to stuff, I want my bricks. And then along come, you read in Exodus chapter 24, that God says, listen, I don't need any bricks. I mean, it's just so, I used to read that for years. Like, what is this? Why why all this random stuff in the Bible? Nothing's random. It means something. So bricks. There's a vision in Exodus 24 of God standing on blue sapphire bricks. What does that mean, everybody? I got plenty of bricks. I'm not going to work you till you drop. That's how much God loves you. I've got plenty of bricks. Well, I want to try to pull all this together if I can, because God is saying in Deuteronomy, you're headed into the land and there won't be scarcity. There'll be abundance. And you're going to have a tendency to maybe go back to the brick laws and Pharaoh because you've been hurt or that you're just a human being. I need you to know that there's plenty. And as you go into this new land, there's no reason to get every scrap of grain out of your fields, actually leave some for other people. So I want you not to live a hoarding lifestyle where you're turned in on yourself. I want you to swim against the grain. This is why God gives us the bread laws. And I just want you to give. I want you to have a giving attitude because a giving attitude is a healing attitude. And this is what God is trying to get across to them. So as Krista said, we had a lot of unlearning to do and some relearning. And it was happening to us and we didn't even know it. So I wanna go back, if I can, and just talk about the early days of grace and the, and the path that God led us down. Uh, when grace started, uh, we stayed four weeks at that old dusty, musty, rusty place. And then we went into key school. Uh, up here next to the courthouse. And we were about four months old and somebody said, hey, the principal, her name was Marjorie Myers. She knows everything going on in the community. We, Krista and I, and many of the other people that were there, this little small band of people had been so hurt. Now, I know me particularly, I had been so hurt. I'd seen too much arrogance, too much self-centeredness and all of these things. And I was so ticked off. That's why I didn't want to be in the ministry anymore. And so I just like, well, we wanted to do the exact opposite. We're going to be real and transparent and we're just going to look to give. We're going to look to give. We're going to look to give. Not just not just money, everybody, but time and energy, grace. How about giving grace? How about giving patience? How about those things? We were going we were gonna to do all this. We were just like, this is what we're going to do. So I go to Marjorie and gosh, I asked her, I said, so what does this community need? And she said, probably the worst thing I could ever heard in my life. She says, we need a free pre-K program for the kids at Woodbury Park because it's low-income kids at Woodbury Park uh, and they're coming in and they've had no preschool, none, none. They watch TV all day and they're coming in here with some of the richest kids in Arlington who have had the best and the best. And there's such a gap. There's such a gap. So can you do that? I'm like, oh my gosh, we're 25 people. I mean, what, I mean, what are you talking about? And then I went and talked to some people and like, yeah, yeah, let's give it a shot. So lo and behold, we take on this huge energy effort, huge financial effort, and we, we, we do it. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we did it. We did, we, we did this, we served for a, a number of years, and then we handed off to a bigger organization who continued to carry the ball down the field. And I could tell you story after story after story that continues on on that. A lot of people ask me, one of, one of the most, not the most, but one of the most popular questions people say to me are new to grace, like, what, you guys don't take an offering? Actually, people get upset with me about not taking. I would think the opposite. I think people would get upset with me for taking an offering, but people get upset with me all like, what's wrong with you? You don't take an offering? I was at key school. We we're like six, seven months into it. And a gentleman visited with his family or whatever. I remember he visited and, 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 and he met me after church in the hallway. He said, you don't take an offering? 
I said, no. And he said, do you have a membership? And I, I, I said, no, we don't have it. He screamed at me. He said, what are you? You'll, I'll never forget. I'll never forget his face as he was down the hall. He said, you'll never survive. I'm like, oh, wow, man. And then, you know, I mean, we're already hurting and we, you know, we're six months into it. Okay. And all, all this, stuff. you know, here's a funny story. Um, uh, uh, we went to a gathering. So our daughter at the time, I guess she was what, like three or four years old and went to a gathering that they did take up an offer. We had a church gathering and taking away. So, you know, the plates, right? And so it had all this cash in it. She's never seen this in her life. She's never seen this in her life. We didn't think about it. We grew up with that. We've seen it. So she sees all this cash. So she's like, Argh. she grabbed it all. And the bad thing was, is people knew we were pastors. And so we said, Gracie, let it go. She said, no, they're giving me cash. You know, <laughs> she wouldn't let it go. Very awkward, or very awkward situation. I, 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 I do want to show you something because I don't want anybody to think that we willy nilly just, you know, with our cash. So let's put that slide up about, uh, here's our philosophy on, on giving the, uh, okay, that's true. Giving is living. I missed that slide. Okay. Uh, the one about uh, skin in the game. It says skin in the game. Oh, I missed that one too. Sorry. Uh, sorry. There we go. Here's our philosophy. Here's our We really want to partner with organizations where we can, like my mom likes to say, somebody's got to be willing to get down and dirty. If you just give money and you're not engaged, oh man, there's, it's not as transformative. We love to partner with organizations where we have a possibility of actually serving. So it's not just about finances, okay? We want to put skin in. That's number one. That's not, we really want to, if at all possible. But we are big on vetting organizations, okay? We are big on vetting. We want to see that they're effective and efficient at what they do, okay? And we love partnering with Christian organizations, but I just want to say this, okay? If there's a Christian organization and like on Charity Navigator, they get like, you know, three stars or two and a half stars, and there's a secular organization that does the same thing and they're just off the charts effective, who do you think we're going with? I I thought somebody would shout something out. That's okay. Uh, We're going with the effective efficient. We're going with effective efficient. If they're, if they're doing God's work, okay, and they're really effective at it, okay, that, that, that's what we're going to go with. So there, there's our whole philosophy. Um, when we very first went to TJ, the last place that we met, they basically hung the phone up on us. And the reason they hung the phone up on us is because uh, there had been a church there before that was just all on the take. Do you know what I'm saying? It was just all about them. They're all about them, all about them. Uh, And we, we, and this is another place we went to. We worked with another organization. It was a school and we were going into their theater and the administrator said, look, we control the theater, but there is a person who like they feel on staff here. They own the theater. Like it's there. Do you know what I'm saying? And they said, they're not going to be happy about this. And they weren't. They were exactly right. We went and talked to this person and we said, you know, we'd like to meet here every Sunday. And he's like, nope, won't work. And he started walking away. So we just trailed along, you know, behind him and we tried, we listened. We did, oh man, we did a lot of listening. He gave us an earful about how this was dumb and stupid and could never work. And then, and then after when he kind of calmed down from that, we just said, Hey, um, is there anything that we can partner with you on? Like serve you? Like what is your, cause it was a terrible theater. Is there any like upgrades because would help us and help you and that kind of stuff? And the shock on this dude's eyes, he's like, what? He ended up being our greatest advocate. And so what I'm telling you, the difference between brick laws and bread laws is, is to be, to be outward facing. Because what Pharaoh was doing and what happens too often in churches, and we just continue the trauma, 
is it's all about me, me, you know, me, you know, that kind of stuff. It's pushy, push, push. Instead of the bread of God, the bread, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life coming to make a difference. And so we have to be just really, really careful about that. Um, I'll tell you um, two other stories and then I'll wrap this up. Uh, so we, last week, Anna just said it, we did this thing with AFAC and uh, just all kinds of, you guys brought in all kinds. But one of the things we did was with Wino across the way is the staff met with them weeks and weeks ago uh, and they said, to, hey, if you guys, like, you know, people come over for brunch or whatever, we'll kick back to the church like 15%. And I wasn't in the meeting. And the staff said, to them, well, don't kick back to the church. You know, kick it to our, our partner organizations to make a difference in the local community. And I'm thinking to myself when they came back and told me that, I'm like, <laughs> you, you, I mean, before you do, could you at least ask me? You know? <laughs> What I'm trying to say by that, and I was, I was very proud of the staff for doing that. What I'm trying to say by that is, is that that giving spirit is so healing. Now, everybody, what do we know about healing trauma? What are the greatest neuroscientists and psychologists and all the people who do trauma work today? They say what's really important is movement and serving. So as you go out to gather the manna, as you're moving to do it, and you're realizing that you don't need to hoard, and you're headed into this new land where you should be people who are sharers, isn't it fascinating that the Bible comes along and says those two things that are critical, critical for us to have healing, to move and to serve, to move and to give, to be outward facing, are the very things. And that is the story that God led us along. God led us towards this thing. God healed us, and we didn't even know we were being healed. We had no idea. But I was, let me say one last thing. You might be saying, oh gosh, John, you guys sound awesome. I mean, you just give all this money away and you serve. Aren't you guys so great? Let me share something with you. It's not really a secret, but I don't think I've ever shared it from a stage before. Um, I was hurting so bad when this church started that I was just like, okay, God, your word, you know, it says this and we're just going to hunt. I didn't care. If grace failed. 20 years ago. <laughs> right. I'll get to that. Uh, I didn't care. I was hurting so bad. It's like, okay, God, if it fails because we're giving so much away and we're so outward facing, then that I just, that's a good thing because you'll be putting me out of my misery. And, and by the time it got to the place where I was healed up and I was like, okay, uh, now it's time for me to get a fearful and turn inward and let's do it. That it had so infected this entire movement. And we had seen where it brings joy and contentment and peace. We had seen where bread laws work so much better than brick laws that it was just too late. Like that's why the staff did what they did because it was just, it was just, it was just too late. So here's what I want to say in, in conclusion because the band's going to come up in just a minute is that giving is living. It's an attitude of giving. That's who God is. If you have, if you have a view of God that all he's doing is sitting around waiting for you to fail, I want to encourage you to have a view of God that his first laws are training wheel laws because God says, I won't let you fail because that's how much I love you. And if you want to know what Grace Community Church is all about, a church for people who go to churches, we want to create a healing community, a healing community. Healing community is a giving community. It's an outward facing community. That's what we're committed to. And we would love for you to consider being a part of this. 
But this is who we are because we believe that God's word is so wonderful that it has the foundational truth that will set us free from all of our PTSD. Um, I'm going to pray and, uh, and then the band's going to come out and we're going to sing a final song. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, this room is probably filled with people just like me who have some trauma, maybe even God trauma with you, maybe, maybe church trauma, church PTSD, or, or maybe it's other things. I mean, there's so much trauma around. So the first thing I want to ask God is that you would please bring healing to us, that you would please, please, please bring healing to us. We need your help. It's so easy, God, even in the church to start promoting brick laws instead of your loving, compassionate, healing, and kind bread laws. But Lord, help us to be a community and a people that reflect you, Jesus, better to give than receive. For God so loved the world that he gave. Let us be that community for you, Father. In Christ's holy name, amen.